Well, uh, where I want to take us is on this little teaching, this journey on moving from just being an expert to being a wise person, and it particularly, particularly applies to parenthood. And that would also include then uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents, and those of you who don't have kids, but you're around kids, okay? Because this is going to apply to you maybe more so uh, than what you expected, okay? I think wisdom is a very elusive goal. Uh, I don't think it's easy to become a wise person. The classic definition of wisdom is not difficult. It is learning how life works. That is wisdom, learning how life really works. That's much, much harder to do than what it sounds like. Benjamin Franklin said, we would like for our children to grow up healthy, wealthy, and wise. The, the healthy one's not too bad if you just show up at the doctor every now and then and don't eat too much, you know, orange food. Um, and, uh, you know, like Cheetos and Doritos and anything else that has toes on the end of it. Um, and then um, the other thing then, like healthy, wealthy. So wealthy, it's not too hard if you learn to get up in the morning and actually go to work. And believe me, that's a huge deal. Getting up and going to work is a massive deal. Like Woody Allen said, 90% of life is showing up, and if you can just show up, you're half the way there, right? And if you can learn some disciplines and use some of the God-given skills you got and, you know, stick with it, you'll probably make a good paycheck. Unless, of course, you know, you were raised in poverty, and then you got all sorts of things stacked against you. Nonetheless, they get out of it too. But wise, healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's the wise one that's always tricky because you're like, eh, I got nothing. I don't know how I can do healthy and wealthy. I can't do wise. I think what we've all settled for, though, is becoming experts as parents. We want to teach our children how to be experts. We're a life expert. We, we teach them how to behave. We teach them how to be responsible. A lot of parenting just settles for teaching kids to be responsible. Pick up your socks. Why? Because I told you so. That's the greatest wisdom of the world right there. I told you so. Uh, we teach them how to be on time, how to brush their teeth, how to share their toys, how to read, how to do math, how to use a fork sometimes, how to make some cash, save some cash, spend some cash, how to avoid drugs and thugs, how to avoid getting punched in the nose, how to handle the other opposite sex, how to not get punched in the nose by the opposite sex. Um, That's expert living. That's not necessarily wisdom. As a parent, you have to be an expert, but what we're pushing it to is how to be a wise sage. To your child. If you're going on a journey, an expert knows the map. They know the lay of the land. They know what you're supposed to pack. They know what kind of shoes to wear. Ah, but wisdom is knowing how to go on the journey. How to read the signs of the terrain and the weather. How to go slow. When to watch out for danger. That's wisdom. So I'm going to give you three roles that can get us to some sort of uh, idea of wisdom. I'm going to give you a ton of ideas, or at least a handful of ideas. I don't expect you to do them all, but I do expect you to begin to ruminate on, like, am I a wise person? And what can I do to be God's agent into the world around me? That's what I'd like for you to be able to walk away with this morning. But I'll give you several ideas so you have something to chew on. Here's uh, the, the first, well, the three roles are poet, priest, and prophet. As a parent, You are to be poet, priest, and prophet. 
Let's start with poet. Here's what I mean by poet. The poet, a poet, any poet, interprets the world around them. As a playwright said a long, long time ago, when we talk with each other, we argue with each other. We debate. When poets write poetry, they argue with themselves. And I would even add, when Scripture does poetry, we end up with the Psalms. Somebody arguing with himself before the throne of God. God, why did you make me this way? Why do you search my soul? Why does the rich people win and the poor people lose? Help me, God. Poetry, it's not that you have to write poetry. You don't have to be some sort of, you know, Longfellow or something like that. I think rednecks and people who grew up in hard times make some of the best poets. See, the poetry role is one where you interpret the world around you. And sometimes the best aw shucks kind of people, the Will Rogers of the world, do the best job at interpreting the world. They're great poets. You see, as a parent, for instance, a young child asked their mom or dad, what makes it thunder? Like last night or perhaps this evening coming up. Now, the expert answers with a science question, and we think this gets, gets the job done, but it doesn't. Well, you see, son, uh, there's friction in the air, and it charges the earth and the cloud, and then when it creates, you know, creates too big of a disparity between the two, there's, they, it jumps, and there's friction, and the splitting of the air, and the burning of the air, and it makes a big bang, blah, 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 blah. Okay, you're an expert. But instead, the poet would say, thunder and lightning reveals that we are small and we can't control our lives and God is big and ultimately we're all in his hands. Oh. I was sitting on the sofa years ago with my uh, son, preschool, preschool son, and we're watching Caillou. Now, I'm going to go there on the whole Caillou thing because I'm telling you, what a frustrating show. I don't know how many hours I put in on Caillou, but I would simply use it as a model to say, you see, son, what a whiner looks like? Don't be a whiner. But anyway, I have one episode that sticks out in my mind, and it was called Starry Night. And Caillou gets a telescope with his grandfather, and they go out and look at the stars and stuff. But the next night, um, Caillou's dad is putting him to bed. And Caillou's laying in bed. And I got the transcript right here. And he says, Caillou says, Caillou, why are there stars to his dad? Here's the dad's answer. I, uh, hmm. Cut to the next morning. The dad had no answer on public television on why the stars are there. He didn't go off on Stephen Hawking or anything. Just just a test pattern. You see, our entire world is experts, but nobody's wise. And I'm making a big leap there, of course. Why are there stars? Why is the world the way it is? The poet understands this sort of thing. Songwriters, people who write prose and write stories, 
They're constantly trying to imagine things and rewrite the universe around us. And you, as a parent, have a role as a poet to your child. It is your job to imagine a different world, to use a different language. Words like majesty and God's voice and listen and let's be quiet all come to mind for the poet. They notice small things. When you're playing outside, you say, come here, come here, come here, come here. Look at this bug. That's the craziest looking thing I've ever seen. And then instead of, you know, doing some sort of family and genius and, you know, some science answer, be a poet. Where do you think she's going? I knew an old lady that looked like that bug one time. Just kind of shuffling off after the store. I wonder if her cat's hungry. You know, just begin to get stuff going. Interpret the world for your kid. When you want to become a good poet and you want to bring God into it, you ought to be somehow in some rhythm of your week and of your month and of your life reading the Psalms. The Psalms are the poetry of the, of the Bible. 150 Psalms, all sorts. About a third of them are, are, the, are like, you're like, oh my gosh, these are terrible. Like, kill my enemies, slay them all. I wish the wicked would all die. Bash their babies' heads against the rocks. And you're like, oh. Like, oh Yeah. You're like, you don't want to read those? Jesus said, if you call someone an idiot, you've as good as murdered them. So maybe it's not too far out of line that people would actually say, kill them, kill them all. And pray that to God versus gathering an army. You see, the Psalms teach us how to talk to God. It was Reverend Billy Graham, years and years ago, I heard him say, he said, I read five Proverbs a day to teach me how to relate to man. I read five Psalms a day to teach me how to relate to God. You want to get to know God's heart? Read the Psalms. You want to be able to take anything, anything at all that you're thinking? You read the Psalms and you say like, wow, that's permissible? I didn't know that. You'll learn the poetry of the universe reading the Psalms. If we want to be God's poet for our children, then we ourselves, we have to train our minds. You need imagination. One thing our society desperately lacks is any imagination. We, we are so mechanistic. We're so expert. And yet we lack the language to understand what time we're in, what energy is going on, what what we need, folks, is a divine waste of time. You have to slow down. If you don't hear anything else today, slow down. Life is not meant to be moved this fast and this productive. Slow down. Find a rhythm. You are not a, a human doing. You're a human being. Sit out at night with your kids, especially if they're young, and watch the stars. Stop slavishly following the clock. It's bedtime. You won't be healthy, wealthy, wise unless you go to bed right now. Sit out there at night. I, we have those um, things that goes on the patio. It's uh, you light on fire. I call it a patio bong. And uh, you can sit out there in your chair and, you know, and burn a fire. And it's really kind of a caveman television. It's just got one channel. It's a little boring, but we all watch it. You're just sit there and stare at the fire. 
we'd sit out there at night and watch the satellites go over and the stars and stare at the caveman television. And then the kids would want to hear the stories. And, you know, the best stories are all the disaster stories, which is why you need to go camping. And you'll actually do better as a mom and dad if you take your kids camping and you have no idea of how to camp. That'll be the best stories. Because your kids only remember the disasters in their life. If you ask them, hey, what do you remember about Disneyland? They're not going to remember all the happy times. They're going to remember dad being run over by Dumbo. (laughs) Or, you know, somebody falling out of the log ride. Or it's all the disaster stuff. Or when the sister or the brother puked up funnel cake for hours or whatever it was. That's what they remember. You go camping, I'll guarantee you. Hey, remember that time when dad's coat caught on fire? That was hilarious. We all spent the night in the ER. Yeah, that was hilarious. That was great. That's what you want to sit around that fire and do is tell those stories. Because someday you think about it when those kids are grown. And they drag you out there, the old poet. And they have you sit around their patio bong on their patio. And they'll say, hey, mom, remember that time, you know, you made the cake without the sugar? You remember that time dad caught on fire? And then you'll smile. And you just became a wise sage. Be a poet to your kids. Interpret the world and use your imagination. Read the Psalms. All right, the next role is priest or priestess. I'll just say priest because I'm not going to say priest or priestess the whole time. The priest ushers their child into the presence of God. You are that person who acts as priest for your child. Not only do you tell and interpret God's grand story of the universe... But you also form them morally, virtually, uh, with virtuals, uh, virtuals, I'm having a very virtual moment, <laughs> virtues and character. That is your job. Yes, you bring them into the Ten Commandments, the very basic understanding of what it means to be a human. Barney the Purple Dinosaur teaches your kid how to say please and thank you, how to share, all that kind of basic stuff. This is what the priest does. But moreover, the priest begins to describe for a kid how to pray, how to talk to God, as well as how to listen for God. And it's the listening part that gets difficult. How to talk to God is what you want to make sure is that you are not teaching your kid that God is Santa Claus and that you need to rub Aladdin's lamp and poof out the genie to do your bidding. This is the worst kind of prayer. Let's throw another virgin into the volcano and see if we can get God to do our bidding. That is a terrible image of God. Instead, God is one where you come to God and you say, do, do, do I understand you, correct God, that you would let this person die that I love? Explain that to me. Where are you? That is healthy prayer. The priest role always takes kids and puts them in a place where they're hearing absolutely your heart. And then, and then you take them to a place of listening, the forgotten half of prayer. One part you talk, one part you listen. This is where the slowing comes in very, very important. If you're not taking off a few hours or a day or going fishing or at least just mowing the lawn, cutting the grass is like the only sacrament 
in suburbia. You know, where you're out there ruminating on all the stuff you don't like. And wow, what a weird time. Anyway, the listening part is the other half of prayer. Eugene Peterson says, prayer has to be a response to something God has said. And listening is waiting for the answer. We call this around the church contemplative prayer. But it's the part where you take a divine waste of time, you slow down, and you wait upon God. If you come on retreat with me sometime, I'll take you up to a monastery, and I'll have you spend an entire day with nothing to do. As my father-in-law said, like, that sounds like the worst thing I could ever do in my entire life. Like, now he's reading all the books. And he's like, I think he's drinking the Kool-Aid. Like, slow down. You're not an animal. You're a soul. The priest trains the child to listen. I'm going to give you something that's really thick, and... um, but I'm going to give it to you so you have an idea of what I'm talking about. This is a book called Journey to the Heart. It's teaching children about centering prayer. Centering prayer is a very uh, ancient type of prayer. There's a book cover, I think. And this is a children's book, and it's very simple. Probably designed for a child who can read, uh, maybe eight years old or whatever. This is not for all children. Certain kids, though, have a tender soul, and are, they're a poet themselves. And some kids are way too activistic for this sort of thing. But let me tell you the way this sort of thing goes. I'll read it to you. This is in the middle of the book. This um, is the child responding to the parent. So now, how do I get to that place in my heart where I'm with God? Is it a long journey? When and where do we start? And the parent says, no, it won't take you long. Only a few minutes, really. Here, do this. First, you'll need a special secret sacred word, a holy word that's a key, a secret way to knock, a sacred key to unlock the center of your heart. It says you can choose your own word, creator, faith, father, hope, savior, Jesus, heaven, God, love, Holy Spirit, one, unknown. What happens in this type of listening prayer is that you sit quietly, this is for adults, by the way, for 20 minutes, and every time a thought comes into your mind, you release it to God, and you just say, love. Here, try it. Just, no, I'm not going to like rob you or anything here. Well, close your eyes. Put your hands in your lap. Are you having a thought? Just release it. This is a very difficult kind of prayer. You can open your eyes. Imagine doing this that every time you had a thought, you released it. You, can, you really can't open your eyes unless you fell asleep, and then you can keep them shut. And instead, you then welcome God in to your presence. It's a release and a welcome. A release and a welcome. Okay? Where does this get done in society? Who's doing this sort of thing? Sure hope you're not doing it while you're driving. There's going to be a lot of death out there. Where does this happen? Where are we teaching each other in souls and our children how to be human? That they're made in the image of God. That God's imprint is upon them. That they have the spark of the divine within. 
Who's doing this sort of thing? When do we get around to saying, not your will, not, I mean, not my will, God, but yours, as Jesus said. Every thought captive, praying without ceasing, real souls, doing soul work. That's what we're after. You come on with a treat with me sometime, I'll show you more than that. That's one of the heaviest things we ever do. But I'll teach you how to have a divine waste of time, how to waste time gracefully. Some of the best stuff we can do. All right. To be a prophet to your child means that when you're watching the game on television, okay, here's how you be a prophet. A prophet speaks the truth. Here's what you do. You're watching the game on television, right? The commercial comes on for that fancy high-dollar car, right? And it's driving through the Swiss Alps on one of these, like, special roads that you see in about every one of these commercials, and there's nothing out there. It's, like, above the Timberline or something. I don't know where they find these places. You know, and the water truck went down the road, and they got it all wet, and it looks really cool. And so here's you as prophet. You're sitting there with your kid, and you go, son, daughter, do we drive on roads like that with our minivan? No, come think of it. We really don't drive through the Swiss Alps, you know, past antelope and bighorn sheep and stuff like that. Do we drive through the jungle creeping up on, you know, wild animals in our minivan? I haven't done that lately. Mostly we drive to Hy-Vee or Price Chopper. Yes, that's right, son. We drive to Hy-Vee and Price Chopper and go to practice and to school and go to Dick's Sporting Goods and give them the rest of our money. Okay, do you think we need that car? Do you think if we had that car, we'd be driving on that S-shaped road? No, we'd probably still be driving to high V. That's exactly right. You have just heard the truth, and you have just been a prophet to your child. It says, you don't need to spend 60000 bucks on that car. The minivan will do just fine, because you can spill your chocolate milk in there, and we don't care. At least we do for a little while until we get over the stink. This is tricky business, everyone, but your job is to interpret the world around them, okay? Particularly television. You've got to be the voice of sanity. Like my little four-year-old, when she was four years old, and she sat there, and we were watching the Chiefs game, and the commercials came on, and she said one thing. She said, Daddy, I like watching commercials because they tell me what I want. Like, my dash lit up. I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. This is not good. She's going to want everything. And, of course, she does. But um, at 14, um, we have to be interpreting the world around us, around your child, everything around them, okay? This is what you do, and in particular, like I said, about television. Let me show you then scripturally how the prophetic role works. Uh, Let's just take something basic that most people know, whether you knew it came out of the Bible or not, the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It's taken out of Scripture. It's a little adapted, but it's taken. I'm going to take you right to where it was. If you have a Bible with you or on your phone or on an iPad or something like that, um, let me give you then Luke chapter 6 is what you'd want to look up. Luke chapter 6. It's a gospel. And uh, I'm going to give you the entire context of where the golden rule came from. And you're going to find out that there's more to it than just treat others as you'd like to be treated. All right. Here it is. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 beginning in 27 all the way through 36. This is what Jesus is saying. But I say to you, Jesus said, I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. 
revolutionary thing for people in the Middle East to hear, huh? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. 29. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. If anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. There it is, the golden rule. But just a few more verses then, 32 through 36. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? See, Jesus is now moving into wisdom. He's going to decipher how the world really works. This is intriguing, so pay attention here. For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. Verse 35. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is, a, is kind and to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. My goodness, this just goes on and on and on. Jesus is absolutely acting and speaking in such a revolutionary way. It makes no sense, secularly speaking. No sense. I remember uh, being with people who hung out with a lot of people who party, and you know how partiers work? As long as you've got the money, they're showing up. When the money runs out, they're gone. They'll borrow, borrow, they'll steal, they'll take from you all day long. And when you got nothing left, it's over. I don't know why people can't figure that out in the party scene. It goes on and on and on. Where is the wisdom? There's no learning going on. You see, you teach this entire thing to your children. You say, you know what? You don't want a just God, son or daughter. You want a gracious God. You want a merciful God because none of us deserve to go to heaven. Heaven is a gift. It is a grace from God Almighty. You cannot ever earn your way into God's favor. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Unpacks into a merciful God who says, if you're going to loan money to your brother-in-law, you better think really hard about it because it's going to eat you alive when they don't pay you back. And you will walk around with resentment in your heart. If you're going to loan money, first off, don't loan very much to your brother-in-law because you know he's not going to pay it back. Sorry to all brother-in-laws in the, in the room. It's a gift. Set yourself free. Be gracious. Be merciful. Stop waiting for a just world. It doesn't work. That is taking the golden rule and teaching it in such a way that you gain wisdom. It doesn't come unless you ruminate upon these scriptures like this. Read the whole thing. Don't lift verses out of context. Don't verse jack. It's not healthy. Well, I'm going to wrap you up with this sort of thing. As you begin to move towards wisdom as a parent, as you move towards wisdom, 
Remember, it is not the expert thing that you need to teach your children. You'll do that anyway. It's the wisdom that's important. And I'm going to now say something to all of you aunts and uncles and grandparents and those of you who are around your brothers and sisters, kids, and that sort of thing. You can't believe the role that you have. You see, parents... They have to do certain things, but you, you are absolutely free. You can give your grandkid five bucks and pat him on the head and shove him a bunch of chocolate in him and send him home. It's a happy day. They love you. Aunts and uncles, I'm going to tell you a little anthropological um, fact. In all societies, in all cultures throughout history, aunts and uncles have been the ones to teach children, teenagers or preteen, what is sex. Not the parents. The parents say it, but it's really the aunt and uncle. You know, your sister who smokes and drinks like a fish and all that. She's the one who actually tells them about how sex really works. And you're like, oh, dear Lord, I'm in worse trouble than I ever thought. Like, yes, you may be. But this is how it gets done. Now, imagine if you're actually moral (laughs) and you're an aunt or an uncle and you're actually a nice person. And you have this role because you can get by with murder and you can teach them all this stuff. They're like, I know what your mom told you because I know your sister. And let me tell you, she didn't tell you how it really works. So, and then you have this job. Now, you're, you're playing with dynamite here, I understand, but that's yours. And besides, you get to walk away from it all at the end of the day, right? And go home. After the Mother's Day stuff today, you get to go home, Right? I'm simply saying there are roles for grandparents and aunts and uncles that you can never imagine that are there. That is your responsibility to carry on. And I'm just saying you're in great tradition because this has gone on for all of civilizations and humanity. Lean into the roles that you've been given. Extend the family and extend the, extend the wisdom. If your uh, brothers and sisters and, and your kids or whatever, if they're just as godless as the day is long, then you become the God person. Not just a moralist saying, no, don't do that. That, you know, the Bible says don't blah, 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 blah. Like, who cares? Your job is to walk in and be a poet, to be a priest, and to be a prophet. Your job is to walk in and interpret the world and inject God so that when your you're little three-year-old or four-year-old, you know, is standing at the door and the lightning flashes tonight, you say, I think God just took your picture. Just a slight turn. Just a slight turning. That's your job. Be that voice. Be that voice in your extended family. This is what you get to do. It is a privilege and a responsibility. And we will all become human beings and not just human doings. Okay? All right, I'll give you one last thing. I've loaded you up with a ton. Uh, Please stand with me because I'm going to let you have a Celtic blessing on a child. Okay, this comes from the Celtic Daily Prayer Book, and it's a very, very ancient blessing upon a child. And um, I think we'll put it up on the screen here, and we're going to do it all together. But let me just uh, rehearse it here with you. It, it's, uh, it goes like this. I bless you, and then you name your children, your own children, or somebody else's child, uh, your grandkids, or you know, your niece and nephew, or whoever. I bless you, uh, Hudson and Mia, or my kids. I bless you, Hudson and Mia, in the name of the Holy Three the Father, the Son, and the Sacred Spirit. May you drink deeply from God's cup of joy. May the night bring you quiet 
And when you come to God's palace, may his door be open and the welcome warm. The Celtic spirituality always has this invitation to it. Coming home. It always has this idea of coming home. And so I thought I might give this to you. I actually have copies of it. But let's try this together. And let's do as Pastor Garrett loves to teach us to do. You open your hands like, I'm just here. I'm just receiving. It's like stuff's coming at me. Here we go. So join me and say the names. We'll pause for that so you can get all those long list of names in, okay? Uh, I bless you, Mia and Hudson. In the name of the Holy Three, the Father, the Son, and the Sacred Spirit, may you drink deeply from God's cup of joy. May the night bring you quiet. And when you come to the Father's palace, may his door be open and the welcome warm. Amen. I have little copies of it if you want one. I made up a few and cut them up. But you're free to move about the country. Peace.